Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, and this is 112BK, coming to you from downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, the BQE is the worst roadway in America, but don't worry, it could get even worse. We'll talk with the man tasked with figuring out a plan to repair the BQE. This one-and-a-half-mile stretch that runs from Atlantic Avenue to Sand Street right past the Manhattan Bridge happens to be in dire need of repair. And then a new documentary that will rum-tum-tugger at your heartstrings. They had no idea what you should do with an unneutered feral cat. So I thought, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I should make a film about this. There's just so much ignorance. With the apocalypse mostly averted, we turn our attention to the BQ emergency. We're referring to the repairs that need to be made to a 1.5-mile stretch of the expressway that supports the Brooklyn Promenade. One much-reviled plan to make those repairs threatened to close the beloved promenade for a minimum of six years, reroute more than 10,000 trucks daily through residential streets, and destroy the view of the Manhattan skyline for some of the most expensive properties in the borough. Yeesh, I wouldn't want to be the guy managing that project. Thankfully, I wasn't asked. The job instead belongs to Carlos Chisura, former head of the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce and now president and CEO of the New York Building Congress. Welcome back to the Brick TV studio, Always Carlo. happy to be at Brick. So you were appointed head of this panel in April. For people who may not be familiar with the problem, what exactly are you looking into? So the, the BQE, I think everyone will agree, is probably the worst road in America. Very bad. Very bad, whether it's from... The Verrazano Bridge, the Triborough Bridge, it's it's a complex set of different pieces. This one-and-a-half-mile stretch that runs from Atlantic Avenue to Sand Street right past the Manhattan Bridge um, happens to be in dire need of repair, particularly what we call the triple cantilever, which is, sits right under the promenade. And the Brooklyn Heights Promenade is one of the three pieces of this triple cantilever. It sounds like a, a diving move it, it, or It's like crazy. I mean, Robert Moses created this. It, it diverted a road from being built through the heart of downtown Brooklyn and Brooklyn Heights, which is great, but it created this thing that now the New York City DOT is tasked with fixing. It is crumbling. It's got a, you know, a 10, 15-year life cycle left and really is in need of a repair. I've read estimates that say that if it's not replaced before 2026, we have a problem. How was that date arrived at? When you look at the joints and you look at the corrosion and and the just behind the wall and underneath everything that's there, I took a tour and many people went on the tour. Um, it's frightening. So it's got to be fixed. You mentioned Robert Moses. When was the BQE constructed? Was it constructed in parts? And why is it so bad? So look, you know, you have the trench in Bay Ridge, which is one piece. You then have the Gowanus Expressway, which went from two lanes to three lanes. I mean, it's been on the repair since it opened. You then have a connector to the Battery Tunnel. You then have a connector through Cobble Hill and Carroll Gardens, a trench. It then comes up and becomes the triple cantilever. You have to connect it to the Brooklyn Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge. Then you have another elevated piece. Then you have the Kosciuszko Bridge. I mean, it's like I can go on and on. It's, it was not conceived as one expressway. It's pieces that were then all kind of thrown together. 
and somehow we now have this expressway that is part of a federal interstate system. It's a truck route through Brooklyn and Queens. It connects Verrazano Bridge, Battery Tunnel, Brooklyn Bridge, Manhattan Bridge, Williamsburg Bridge, Kosciuszko Bridge, Long Island Expressway, Triborough Bridge, the Grand Central. I mean, it's this crazy road. At what point were all of these piecemeal sections put together, called the BQE, and designated a, a federal piece of the 50 years ago, okay. 60 years. I mean, it's it's been going on for and decades. And at the time, how many cars were going on the BQE as compared to now? A fraction. A fraction. We have 150,000 plus vehicles a day that traveled this stretch of expressway, this triple cantilever. Um, it's it's just not built for this. And of those 150,000 vehicles, quite a sizable percentage are trucks. A lot of trucks. It's the only expressway the only. Through, through Brooklyn, right. right? So it's what we like to call the perfect storm of an infrastructure project. Fun job you have. Fun job. It's It's been great. <laughs> so, but I love it. So there's this panel. Um, right. Tell me a little bit about it. How many members, what backgrounds are the members from, and how did you end up chairing this panel? So I, you know, the panel is made up of really smart people who are active in New York, from community groups to civic groups, citywide organizations, engineers, uh, people that run groups that represent contractors. So, I mean, it really is a truly representative group of people who understand infrastructure, community, um, government, and Brooklyn. Um, and I think I was chosen because I was crazy enough to say yes, but obviously I know a little bit about infrastructure, a little bit about Brooklyn, and I think I understand the importance of community and how community has to play into this. And I think all those pieces, the mayor said, I think you'd be great to do this, and I'm honored to do it. And you mentioned that community feedback needed to be an important part of this. The mayor convened this panel in April after there was tremendous outcry over a plan that he gave his blessing to. Can you tell us a little bit about that and then what some of the decisions were to take a step back and evaluate things from the ground up? Right. So I think, look, the New York City Department of Transportation has put in tremendous work on this, and the commissioner and her team have been phenomenal. But they looked at it as we have to rebuild the highway in place where it is, and we have to divert 150,000-plus vehicles a day and keep traffic as is. They came up with a, a real engineering, I think, masterpiece in terms of the engineering of it, but I think they didn't realize that the uh, passion of the people that live in Brooklyn, that use Brooklyn Bridge Park, by the way, that use the promenade was going to be so intense. And I think the mayor and city hall said we need to take a pause, step back, and look at can we think a little differently than the way we've been thinking. And the mayor and, and uh, Commissioner Trottenberg pulled together this group and said – Give us ideas. Go out there and look at things differently. And we've been spending a lot of time doing that. So people expected you and this panel to maybe look at alternate plans that had been proposed. But you're actually saying we're not even at that phase. We need to take a step back and look at the whole picture. So, you know, the way I look at it is, first of all, uh, we had to come together and understand the project area. So that's step one. We had to understand what's wrong with this road. And then I think we had to listen to people, hear community, hear 
uh, engineers here, contract people that are going to build it, but also people that live there, use the park, and and have a stake in this. And there are so many great proposals out there. Uh, some have captured people's imaginations. But you know, I've said very publicly, it's not our job to sit and go through proposals. It's our job to evaluate the process, the logistics, to understand what is there, what is the need, and then pull it together and give some recommendations based on where we think things can go. Do you have a concrete timeline for that? We'd like to have a report out in the fall at some point. Yeah. Do you envision an outcome where there will be a plan that makes everyone happy? Or looking at all of the moving parts, do you think that this is going to be a compromise where people are going to have to give on all sides? Well, look, everybody will clearly have to give on all sides because there will be construction here. And when there is construction, particularly on a road that is so narrow, that has Brooklyn Heights promenade and housing on one side and a hundreds of millions of dollar park and new residential and hotel on the other side, there will be some pain that construction will bring. That is the reality. You mentioned that the BQE is a federal roadway. So you're working with the city, you're working with the state, you're working with the feds, you're working with the MTA. Everybody has to play here. So, Uh you know, whatever we come up with, whatever recommendations we give, I remind people there has to be an environmental impact study that is done for, for 18 months to two years once we finish our process. That'll probably start in 2020. And does environmental actually mean like air quality? Everything. Uh Everything will be looked at because Mm -hmm. it's important to understand all that. I'm frankly exhausted just listening to you talk about this process. As am I, but it's fun. (laughs) I mean, what's it like for you personally? A lot of people, especially in Brooklyn Heights, are very invested in this. Are people like calling you up? Do they know where you live? Like what's the most batshit thing somebody said I have to tell you, I... I have a very simple philosophy. I am a very out there person. So if I'm going to take this on, I'm going to meet with people. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to let them know what I'm doing. They may not like it. They may like it. But they will always be able to say, he answered our calls. He responded to our emails. He met with us. I met individually with many of the community groups. We've met twice now with a coalition We've briefed elected officials in Albany. I'm meeting with elected officials constantly. So this is a transparent, clear process. But at the end of the day, we all have to remember this road has to be fixed. And it's all of us together that will come up to a conclusion. Speaking of uh, commissions and infrastructure decisions that were not transparent, did you learn any lessons from how the apocalypse was handled, where at the 11th hour, all of a sudden, it was decided that actually, we don't need to shut down the L train? Right. I think think City Hall did. Because I think City Hall, to the mayor's credit, said, before we spend billions of dollars and before we actually put shovels in the ground— Let's think differently. Let's look at alternatives. By the way, it may be that the alternative is to fix it and that's it, but we have to at least look at everything. We're seeing something of a construction boom in Brooklyn right now. Can you put that in context for me? Is that just always what it seems like? So I'll tell you this. We, We did a study about New York City, and we have never had a year like 2018. 2018 was the highest year on record for construction. And that's in all the boroughs. We're seeing construction everywhere. Uh, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, Manhattan, Staten Island. Everyone is booming. People are working. So it's a good thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we're also seeing some backlash to the construction boom in Brooklyn. Uh, there's the proposed new buildings by the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens right. that people say are going to cast shade. Um, there's going to be lots of changes coming to the construction industry in terms of environmental standards, less glass fronts, for example. Um, do you feel like the construction industry is being unfairly maligned or is being put back on its heels at all by sort of the pushback to Well, look, these I, think, I think we are clearly being unfairly treated. I think when you look at the construction industry, I remind people that we put to work people in the boroughs. Sixty percent of the people who work in construction today do not look like me, and that's a very good thing. The number of women in the industry is growing. Uh, Construction means new schools, new parks, new hospitals, new universities, new roads, new subway stations. Uh, new bridges, new tunnels, new infrastructure, new DEP sewer lines. I mean, people get upset when they're in a neighborhood and, and there's a wreckage of you know, streets being ripped up. And I remind them that a lot of it is work that helps you live where you live. It's underground maintenance. This is an old city with old infrastructure. We are spending records amount of money, both from the city, the state, the MTA, to rebuild our infrastructure. So yes, I understand how people get upset about it. I get that there are people that don't want to see tall buildings. But by the way, it's New York City. If anywhere is going to have tall buildings, it's going to be in New York City. They don't have to be in you know small, uh, low-scale neighborhoods or in historic districts. But it's New York. We expect a skyline. We expect people live vertically here. So. I get it. It's my job to remind people that the construction industry is spending a lot of money in neighborhoods, putting people to work and bringing services that are needed to the city. And I feel like all construction is not created equal in many people's Absolutely. minds. Like Absolutely. as much as we hate, you know, the street being torn up to repave it, we're ultimately happy that there are we're happy pot, when it's done. potholes, yes. right? Fewer potholes. But on the other hand, I feel like, you know, people are opposed more just to like, you know, the high rises in their historic neighborhood right. or, you know, overshadowing right. the botanic gardens and the argument is usually but the jobs. Are there construction projects that the construction industry would be opposed to? I think the construction industry does a great job in terms of really serving with integrity and trying to build to the best standards, highest quality, and really treating people fairly. So um, I think if you said to anybody in this industry, we want to do something that's going to break the law, of course they're not going to do that. <laughs> right. I you know. So. But if it's within the law and allowable and people can build then people will build. It's New York. Remember, people have fought things in New York forever. I worked for years on the Barclays and the Atlantic Yards proposal. I see people enjoying the Barclays Center now and say, I'm glad we fought for it because it has brought something to Brooklyn. And you know, you look around this neighborhood, look at what a construction project has done for brick to actually have space like this. And it goes on and on. All right. Well, Carla, thank you very much for Thanks joining for us Thanks for having today. me. Always a pleasure. And meow for something completely different. They wander the streets at all hours. They sleep wherever they like. 
They piss in your backyard. They have babies they can't take care of, often with multiple fathers. They will be portrayed by Taylor Swift and Dame Judi Dench in an upcoming film. We're talking, of course, about cats, specifically street cats. There are an estimated half a million feral or abandoned cats living on the streets of New York. And like the city's people population, the greatest number of them reside in Brooklyn. These cats, along with the people who love them, are the subject of a new documentary, Cat Rescuers. And here to tell us all about it are the film's co-directors, Stephen Lawrence. Welcome to 112BK. Thank you. Rob Fruchtman, thank you for joining us. And we also want to welcome Sassy Walker, one of the folks who's actually out there rescuing the cats. <laughs> Hello. Thanks Meow. for coming by, you guys. Great to be here. <laughs> um, what draw you to the subject, Stephen, Rob? Are you guys cat people? We're cat people. Yeah, we, we both have cats. Uh, but what got me interested in the subject was moving into a house in Bay Ridge. My wife and I moved into a house in 2013. Uh, the next morning we woke up and there was a mama cat and three kittens at our back door just staring at us, begging to be fed. They didn't stop staring. And uh, eventually we broke down and fed them. And then we had to figure out what to do. And they weren't the only ones. There were uh, another mama cat showed up the next day. Word got out that we were feeding. So we were faced with a problem that Sassy is all too familiar with. Mm-hmm. What do you do with feral cats that are hungry? Sometimes they're injured. And they haven't been spayed or neutered. So they're going to procreate like crazy. So we had to learn what what can be done and what should be done. And, and what did you do with these cats? Well, we... we Trap them all. We got certified in TNR, trap, neuter, return. Trap them. The kittens got uh, fostered and adopted out. Uh, the other cats got returned to their colony, which was our home, which we didn't know about. Uh, you know, along the way, we began to understand the scope of this problem. It's huge. You just mentioned 500,000 cats living on the streets of the city. None of our neighbors knew anything about TNR. They did, had no idea what you should do with an unneutered feral cat. So I thought, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I should make a film about this. There's just so much ignorance. And one of the people we reached out to to get advice uh, from about TNR and other things was a friend of Rob's. And she said, well, if you want to make a film, you should do it with my friend Rob. Rob and I got together. We started talking about the idea. And we decided it's it's an important film. We want to do it. and. Then we had to pick our four rescuers. Right. And Rob can take over from there. Well, we asked people, you know, if they knew rescuers. And uh, there were two women who started, I believe, Brooklyn Animal Action, which is a small rescue group. And they directed us to Sassy, who directed us to Stu, I believe, mm-hmm. who's in the film, and Claire, who was part of that group. Is that right? Right. And Tara, uh, Tara Green, who's also mm-hmm. in the film, my wife and I had met in Bay Ridge at a street fair. She lived in the neighborhood. And she was out there promoting TNR. So she was one of the people who really educated us. So uh, we, we had our four rescuers, and we got to work. But and they're a really diverse bunch. They live all over Brooklyn. Right. Um, Sassy, you live in Canarsie? Right, but I'm from Brownsville. So Canarsie, where I'm at, is Brookline, which is across the street from East New York. And how did you get involved in TNR, which is Trap, Neuter, Return? Well, it's the same thing. You know, I kept seeing cats and, you know, mama cat and stuff, and it's just kind of common sense. And then it made me start asking questions like, hell, what do you do with feral cats outside? And how do you trap 
a feral cat? So they teach you in a class, which I recommend everyone take, is Neighborhood Cats. Um, ASPCA does it. Maze Alliance does it. It's everywhere. A Alley Cats does it. So that's the first thing. You definitely need to be educated on to do it properly. Don't just go out there with and like don't. gardening gloves no. and a can of tuna. No. All no. with the wrong bad intent. Okay, right, so okay. right. So and then they teach you you use a trap. If you take the class, they teach you how to do it. And you know, it's all about getting them in a trap and then bringing them to get, you know, the services that ASPCA offers. So you see a cat on the street, it obviously doesn't have a home. You're like, "Oh, I should trap this and make sure that it's spayed or neutered." How do you know? You don't you until don't. you bring them to the ASPCA. A lot of cats we get that are already spayed once they shave and they see the tattoo, they know they spayed us up, then that was obviously a house cat that was thrown out. So let's say that you have trapped a cat or multiple cats. Um, you take it to the vet or to the ASPCA and bring it in for surgery. Mm -hmm. Who pays for that? A lot of the trappers, including the ones we filmed, don't get that much help from the city or anyone else, and they do pay out of pocket. Yeah, that was shocking to me. And I, I, I'm not sure if it was sassy, but there was one character in the film who said, I pay for 90% of the That's sassy. Mm -hmm. And um, are you independently wealthy? Are you in a position? <laughs> yes. Do you, do you just yes. have a ton of money to yeah, like Yeah, with my, my cheap shirt on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, How do you, um, what makes you decide to put some of your income, a sizable amount of your income, you, yeah. you talk about, you know, you spend $400 a month mm -hmm. on, you know, food and, and cat litter. Mm -hmm. What drives you to make this your, your calling? Well, I have to do it. No one else is going to do it. But you don't have to do it. A well, lot of people I mean, don't do true, it. True, true. But, you know, for me, it's like if I don't do anything, it's just going to just get worse. The problem is going to get worse, and that's why we all have to do something about it. So, yes, I would like to get my nails done, and I would like to, but I can't. You know, I can't afford it, so it was either I had to choose, and I chose the cats. As Sassy said in the film, once you see the cat, there is no no. Right. Mm -hmm. You got. You know. They have to do it. These, these are really passionate and compassionate people, and they won't. The money is that doesn't matter. You know. They they're going to take care of that cat. We have a clip from the film. It's another one of the cat rescuers, and he talks a little bit about the scope of the problem. We'll just play that now. I would have to estimate. 20, 25 cats is a good guess. The average block in this in the city, and multiply that by the number of blocks, and I think you get some idea of the, the cat population. You walk one block over, and you've got dead kittens in the street this time of year because of the lack of food and water. So unless there's a concerted citywide effort to try to uh, work on this issue, I, I, I'm not optimistic about a long-term effective solution. Tell me a little bit about this clip that we saw. Uh, who is Stu, and how did you how did you meet him? Uh, Stuart Site is a cat rescuer who lives in Kensington, and we met him through Sassy. Stuart at that time was uh, working in Borough Park. He had a garage, which he was using as a shelter. He's an electronics engineer, and uh, he had converted his garage into a shelter. And uh, as you'll see in the film, he goes out at 3 o'clock every morning to feed street cats in Kensington and Borough Park. And he's completely devoted to the cats. Now, a lot of people say, you know, oh, don't feed the cats. Don't feed the cats. They're going to come back. They'll start to depend on you, uh, you know, and they won't be able to fend for themselves. What do you say to people who say that? Well, uh, you, you know, the, the alternative to not feeding the cats is to have them suffer. And, and, you know, New York has brutal winters. Many don't survive. So the ones who do take care of those cats are 
providing a service. Uh, the problem is there's there's another step that needs needs to happen, which is to have the animals obviously spayed or neutered. They can then live out their life out in the you know on the streets if there are feeders to feed them. That's the humane and compassionate way, you know. But to not feed them. To let you know, the other alternative is that they're going to then go into the garbage cans and and do everything they can to find food to survive. Right. So, they are our fellow citizens. Um, <laughs> there's also a scene with your daughter who appears mm-hmm. to be a, a teenager with also a big heart, mm-hmm. um, and she talks to the camera and she's like, "My mom got me into this lifestyle," and the word oh. lifestyle really <laughs> jumped out at me. But it is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm, I mean, sure. you talk to these rescuers yeah. who are saying, you know. I can't go on vacation. You know, who's going to care for my cats? All of my disposable income goes towards cats. It's a major step for yeah. them because it's a it's it's more than a lifestyle. It's a life commitment. You know, they're doing something that that essentially eliminates many other things that we take for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to go away on the weekend. Well, you can't do that if you have 30 cats to feed or, you you know, you know that there's a problem on the, on the next street. Right. And, and the film culminates in a few of your characters realizing that they might have to scale back on their commitment for mental health reasons. Is there a way to continue the TNR program without relying so massively on the kind-heartedness of individuals? Yes, uh, there, there is a way, and it would be for the city to directly support TNR on a community-by-community basis. Yes. It doesn't exist right now. We have ACC animal care centers, and uh, in, in Brooklyn they have um, a very nice facility, but it's only for people who are surrendering cats or for cats that have been injured. Mm-hmm. It's a very different thing. Um, all the, the one group that we document in our film, Brooklyn Animal Action, just survives on donations. And uh, everybody in the film is on the verge of burnout. Well, except maybe Stu. Because yeah, Stu, Stu is, seems actually pretty <laughs> chill. <laughs> yeah, so great. Stu, Stu's just going to keep going. <laughs> uh, but it's not, this is not a sustainable solution. Even if 500 more people get trained in TNR in the next year. That's not going to solve the problem. You mentioned the surrendering of cats, which is a phrase that I hadn't heard before. And it's first set up, I believe you talk about, you can't understand why somebody would surrender a cat and it breaks your heart to see that. But then you follow somebody who's surrendering a cat and it's a very um, poignant scene. What are some of the reasons that people might bring their beloved pets into ACC? Well, there are several reasons. I mean, people move and they move uh, to an apartment building that doesn't allow for pets. You know, uh, sometimes people are poor and can't afford to have their animal spayed or simply don't know that they can do that. And, and consequently, the cat uh, has problems that they can't handle. So they surrender the cat rather than deal with that problem, which is what we documented in the film. The, the black cat, Mitzi, mm. who you see surrendered early in the film. That's so sad. She's 12 mm-hmm. years old, mm-hmm. and she's having health problems. She's Be- never been to a vet. And her owner uh, doesn't know how to deal with those problems, and he just wants to get rid of her. Right. He has a new child. Right. There you go. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd like to play a little quiz with you guys. This is a quiz that's going to tell you which cat from the hit musical Cats you are. Um, so it's just multiple choice. <laughs> what if, you what you assume that we've it? seen cats. Oh, doesn't matter. It's okay. totally relevant and completely okay. arbitrary. Okay. So okay. don't worry Good. about it. All right. Um, choose a Brooklyn neighborhood. And they'll be keeping score in the booth. So uh, we'll let you know at the end. Choose a Brooklyn neighborhood. 
Ditmas Park, Sunset Park, Park Slope, Bed-Stuy, Carroll Gardens, or Fort Greene. Steve? Ditmas. Rob? Um, sunset. Sassy. Okay, great. Uh, choose a tasty snack. Burger, fries, a single fish skeleton, dry food, wet food, gluten-free brownie. Gluten-free brownie. Oh, single fish skeleton, without a doubt. <laughs> Sassy. Brownie. Okay, two gluten-free brownies. It is Brooklyn, after all. All right, choose a 90s TV show. Friends, Top Cat, Cat Dog, Reading Rainbow, Mr. Rogers, or Looney Tunes. Steve? Uh, Mr. Rogers. Rob? By the end of this film, Looney Tunes. <laughs> Sassy. Mr. Rogers, I guess, is a Brooklyn thing. <laughs> okay. Um, choose an alcoholic beverage, beer, wine, gin and tonic, a cool, refreshing Zima, margarita, or rum, Tum Tugger? Vodka. <laughs> Wait, vodka's not an option. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it's more Brooklyn. I think we're going to go with the cool, refreshing Zima then. Okay. okay. <laughs> Beer, of course. Beer? Sassy? Beer. Okay, two beers. Um, last question. Pick a sport. Football, soccer, baseball, t-ball, hockey, or surfing? Baseball. Okay. Baseball for Steve. Baseball. 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 Baseball all around. <laughs> all right. Moment of truth, you guys. Let's figure out what cat from cats you are. You I don't up? know, but this is going to be very <laughs> interesting. It's very, very scientific. It's yeah. best if you don't ask questions about it. Okay. All right. What do we have for Steve? Okay. You got McCavity Cat. You oh, you're a clever one. You're always one step ahead of everyone else. You're passionate, and you're not afraid to pursue your dreams. Congratulations, you're nice. McCavity. Thank you. <laughs> I accept. Rob <laughs> is? Uh, you are Skimbleshanks. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Rob, stop there. You're a natural leader, always proactive, and always tending to lead the pack. You don't mind getting dirty. A man for all seasons, you're ready to take the lead or offer a hand to whoever needs you. Offer a paw to whoever needs you. <laughs> and sassy, you are Victoria. Mm. Prima ballerina is what people think when they think of you. You may be timid, but you ooze talent and style. Your beauty permeates from inside to out. Ooh, that's oh, yeah. South. So Congrats, me. you guys. Thank you. Thanks Thank you. For you like sassy. That yeah, is me. <laughs> um, and if people want to see the Cat Rescuers, where can they do that? Uh, the Cat Rescuers opens this uh, coming Friday, the 5th, at the IFC Center in Manhattan, down on 6th Avenue. Great. And it's playing all weekend? It's playing all week. Until the 11th, yeah. through the Excellent. 11th. We're going to have a celebrity cat who was a rescue cat mm -hmm. on Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. We're going to be there with the rescuers. Who knows what else will happen. Okay. But whatever. We'll be there, and we'd love to have people be there, a too. A celebrity cat. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Thank, thank you. Thank you. That's the show for today. Please review One When To Be Can on iTunes, and please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bob Barker reminding you to help control the pet population. Have your pets spayed or neutered. See you next time. 112BK is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Barkey, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogaseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Pointzolo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. 